Uh, we are so glad uh, that you would uh, spend a little bit of your time, uh, carve a little bit of a, a time out of your weekend to come and join us for an hour. Um, as Emma said, the way we like to do things here at Beyond is we like to pick a, a big idea and we like to kind of take it from a whole heap of different angles. We package these together. I like that idea of episodes. We package them together in a number of episodes, whack a cool name on the front of it, and we call it a series. And so the series that we're going to launch tonight, that we're going to look at for the next three weeks, there'll be three episodes on this one, um, is this series, Be Rich. Now I know, uh, I just want to address something right off the bat, because I know that when you walk into a church, and when you hear this idea, the series is going to be called Be Rich, there are a whole heap of different ideas that come to your mind. Because some of you maybe walked away from church, because the church you went to used to always talk about money. And the only time they talked about money was when they weren't meeting budget. Every other time it was cool and they're like, hey, we, we really need some more money, we really need you to give. And really you just knew that they wanted to meet the bottom line. And so maybe you stopped going to church because it felt like the church just wanted your, your money, they wanted you for your wallet. Maybe some of you actually never went to church in the first place because you kind of hurt, had that vibe that, oh, geez, the church is really just about, they just really want people's money. They sell this great message, but they really just want people's money. And I understand that there are some of you here tonight and you're like shaking your head. You're like, why did I invite my friend on this night? Why did I pick, any? I could have picked any other night, but I chose the night that they're going to launch the series around this idea. So what I wanted to do before we launch this series is just to ease everyone's tension. I wanted to make a promise uh, from beyond to you. And the promise that I want to make is that for the next three weeks, Beyond Church is not going to ask you to give money. We are not going to ask you to give money towards Beyond Church for the next three weeks. That is our promise throughout this series. So, now that we've like taken a deep breath, we're all on the same page. Some of you are probably like, okay, so if you're not after our money, then, then what is this series all about? What do you want? What, what are we going to talk about? Really, this series is we want, we want something for you. Because we know that there are a lot of people who, uh, we live in a, in a, a compa- comparatively across the rest of the world, we live in an incredibly rich nation. But for a lot of us, we are just not very good at being rich. We are always like, man, I've got no money in my bank account. I don't have any money. And so right now, uh, maybe, <clears throat> right now, maybe you don't feel rich, but we, but we hope to convince you that you maybe are rich and uh, maybe or a little richer than what you think you are. And so really, really, we want this series to be for you so that even if you don't feel rich now, that one day when you become rich, that you'll be good at being rich. You won't be a bad rich person because we want you to be a good rich person And so to ease into that, I want to try and um, convince you of something that's going to be very, very difficult to convince you of. And if I can't convince you, my hope is that maybe I'll just get you to think, think a little differently about this tonight. And this is what I want you to think, that you are richer than you think. You're richer than you think. I know as soon as I say that in your head, you're like, whoa, 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 Chris, Chris, time out. To be richer than you think, you have to be rich in the first place. You can't be er unless you're rich to begin with. You can't be er unless you've got the first part. And I'm not rich, so I'm definitely not richer. But the truth is that when we say that we're not rich, what comes to mind is always someone else, right? Well, I'm not richer than I think because my, my next door neighbor, they're, they're the rich people. They've got that bigger house than me. They've got a pool at their place. Well, I'm not rich because, because I don't have that brand new car. Mine's second hand. Maybe some of you are at high school or at union, like, look, look, I'm not rich. And the reason I know I'm not rich is because when I go to my parents and I ask them for something, they tell me you can have it at Christmas or your birthday. 
But, but my friend's parents, they just pull out their credit card straight away. Here you go, whatever you want. Here, you take the card. We got a card in your name because we're rich. We don't care what, what you buy. And so when we, when we say that, well, I'm not really rich, what we really are doing is comparing ourselves to someone else. And ultimately, we, never, we say that we're not rich because we never feel rich, right? We never feel rich, so we, we say, well, I guess I'm not rich. But let, let's be honest, rich is relative. Rich is relative. Money Magazine in the United States did a, a massive big survey across all people in the United States and said, hey, in order for you to feel like you were rich, how much money would you need in your bank account? And it came back that the person earning the average wage in the United States said that they would need about three to five million dollars in their bank account to feel rich. So they were like, Money Magazine did the, the logical thing, right? They're like, well, if, that was, if that's what people need to feel rich, we should go to the rich people and ask them. So they went to people who had about three to five million dollars in their bank account. And they say, hey, everyone says, the average person in America says that you're, you're rich and they would need what you have in your bank account to feel rich. How much money do you need to feel rich? And they all said, oh, about nine or ten million dollars. Because rich is relative. We always compare and we always base how rich we are based on someone else. And so tonight I want to talk or lean in with these two ideas. Two ideas. I don't want you to convince you you're rich. I just want to convince you that you're richer than what you think. And so I want to give you two symptoms or two ideas or two indicators that you are in fact richer than you think. So the first indicator that you are richer than, than you think is that people who are richer than they think live in a state of constant denial. Have you ever noticed <clears throat> that tall people will admit that they're tall? Extroverted people, like, they'll tell you they're extroverted. Holy dooly, they'll, they'll let you know. You can pick them, they don't even have to tell you. Organized people will, make a, will send you an email with a Google Calendar reminder to an event to come to, and then they'll tell you that they're organized. If you like the new Taylor Swift song, you are telling people. If you dislike it, oh, you better believe that you are telling people. But when it comes to being rich, have you ever noticed that no one ever admits that they're rich? In fact, you might have even pointed to someone and someone you know and you say, hey, you're actually pretty rich. And what happens when, that, when, when someone says that is you go, oh, well, I do all right for myself. Or they'll say, well, look, you might think I'm rich, but not compared to, insert name, there. Rich people live in this constant state, or people who are richer than they think live in this constant state of denial. The other indicator that maybe you're richer than what you initially think is, uh, is this. People who are richer than they think are plagued by discontentment. Now, I don't mean that you're unhappy. That's not what I mean. I don't mean that if you're plagued by discontentment, you're unhappy. But what I mean is people uh, who, are, who are richer than they think, people um, who are richer than they think get this appetite for stuff. Because the acquisition of stuff is like an appetite. When you're hungry, you, you eat a little bit or you drink a little bit and you feel full, but that appetite is not finally satisfied because a little bit later you get hungry. And people who are richer than what they think like love acquiring stuff and they just feel if I can just have the next thing or the next item or the next car, then I'll be fine. But then a little bit later, they're hungry again. They want more stuff. In fact, uh, people who are richer than they think, they, they do this crazy thing. You wouldn't do this because you're not richer than what you think, of course. They do this thing called Upgrade. I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh, and so they, what they do is they take their phones and they'll go and stand in the Apple store and they'll go in like on the day that the brand new phone is released and they'll have their phone that's a year old and get this, it still works fine. It still works perfectly. And what they'll do is they'll go into the store and they'll give that person their phone and then they'll give them a whole heap of money. So now the store has their phone and their money 
And then the phone will give them, uh, the, the store will give them a slightly newer version of what they already had. It's ridiculous, right? People who are richer, the other thing they do like on this upgrade thing is that they really, these are really rich, people who are way richer than they think. They buy these things called houses, right? You might live in one. They buy these things called houses and, and it's just, just a regular house, you know, it's got a kitchen and a bathroom and a bedroom and, and the works and, and they go in and they, they look at the kitchen, for example, and the kitchen's got a bench top, a sink and some cabinets and they go, oh, we don't, really, we don't really like that. So what they do is they rip it all out and then you know what they replace it with? A bench top, sink, and some cabinets. But of course, you know, you're not richer than what you think of, of course. Rich, people who are richer than what they think, um, another way that they can tell that they're plagued by discontentment is they love to do this thing, it's called collecting. Where essentially they get a whole heap of a similar or same item. It might be makeup, it might be shoes, it might be cups, if, it might be cars, whatever it is, people who are richer than they think, they always need to have more and more stuff. And so they collect all this stuff that's pretty much the same, just slightly, slightly different. Now, <clears throat> I, um, in, in case you're still on the border, in case you're still on the fence, you're like, well, look, Chris, I, I don't have any of those traits. I'm really not richer than, than, I, than uh, you think. I wanted to show you this. This is the, uh, the global rich list. It'll come up uh, in a second. And it's powered by, um, by Compassion. It's this great little website that you can go to and you can punch in how much you earn every year and it will give you a comparison based on the every single person in the world, so the other six or seven billion people that lived in the world. It will give you what percentage of the world you sit in based on your earnings. And so I decided to, um, to have a little bit of fun during the week, and so I just punched in a random number, and it came up with this. Um, <clears throat> it came up with this. You're in the top 39.38% of people in the world, the top 39% of rich people in the world, if you earn $2,000 a year. You are in the top 40%. Now, what that looks like, because some people are like, well, what does, that, what, does that, what does that even look like, Chris? In Australia... If you are the average person, the average wage in Australia is $17.70. So if you are the average person earning the average wage in Australia, it would take you a whopping three weeks to be in the top 40% of people in the world. Now, this is where it gets really crazy because you're not going to believe this. That's not working seven days. That, most, most people who are richer than what they think actually earn enough in five days worth of work to support their living for seven full days. How crazy is that? And so someone who just wanted to be in the top 40% wouldn't have to work three full weeks of seven days. All they would have to work is five days within that seven-day block. So 15 days of the year, they would have to work to be in the top 40%. And then just for the kicker, they wouldn't even have to work 10 or 20-hour days or 12-hour days. They would have to work around seven and a half hours a day at the average rate for 15 days in Australia to be in the top 40% for rich people in the world. Now, having said that, I hope none of you are feeling guilty. Church is a horrible place to feel guilty. You shouldn't, you shouldn't feel guilty um, if you're in church. But what I really want to ram home, and as I want you to realize, is you might not feel rich, but on a global scale, the very fact that you live in this country, you are richer than what you think. And the reason why I wanted to spend some time kind of fleshing that out and making us think about it a little bit is because of something that Paul wrote to uh, his protege, Timothy. Now, if, you, if you're new to church, Paul uh, was born in about the 5th century. 
And he wasn't born as Paul, he was born as uh, the name Saul. And he, he grew up, he was born a Jew, he was a Roman citizen and he was a Jewish uh, born Jew and he was in a group of this uh, special group of the Jewish religion called the Pharisees. And Paul grew up being like a Pharisee and he was one of the best Pharisees. In fact, his teacher was the teacher for the day. His name was Gamaliel. And Paul was in line to kind of take Gamaliel's spot. He was like, Paul was ready to be the man. And so to kind of show, or Saul at this point, to show how ready he was, Saul launched out on this crusade to destroy the early church. And while Paul was slaughtering Christians and slaughtering the early Jesus movement, one day he was on the road to a a city called Damascus. And he had an experience that revolutionized his life. And he went from killing Christians to being a Christian. He went from hating Jesus' followers to following Jesus himself. And he changed his name from Saul to Paul. And he started all these churches. And one of his young church leaders, Timothy, led one of these churches in a city called Ephesus. And Paul wrote a letter specifically to Timothy because there were a lot of rich people, a lot of rich Christians in this church in Ephesus. And Paul wrote specifically to Timothy to talk to them about, hey, this is how rich people or rich Christians should think about their money. And this is how um, Paul starts, um, or or Paul uh, talks to Timothy about that. He said, command those who are rich. In other words, teach them, instruct them, let them know these things. Command those people who are rich in this present world not to be. Now, if you were Paul in his shoes, and you had to give some instructions to rich people about what not to be, what might you say? Because Paul says this, I want you to teach them not to be arrogant. Now maybe for you, like a, mind, a person came to, um, to mind, don't say their name out loud, but maybe a, an image came to mind or a person that you know came to mind, you're like, man, I know a rich person, I know some arrogant rich people. But isn't it true that to some extent we help, pe- help rich people become arrogant? Have you ever been in a conversation with some people and you know that one of them's rich, and even though, they're, they're, even though like, they've got more money, you automatically like, agree with all their opinions, and you automatically just, not, whatever they say, you're like, it must be true, they're rich. And, and although some people who are smart become rich, not r- all rich people are smart. Just because you have more zeros in your bank account doesn't mean your IQ goes up. But we treat rich people in this way, and so rich people start to think, well, I'm smarter than everyone else. And if anyone disagrees with my idea, then they must be wrong. And over time, what happens is, if you let yourself do that, you begin to look down on people who don't hold your views and your values and your way of thinking. And you begin to become arrogant. But Paul goes on. He says, I don't want them to be arrogant, and I, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Because what Paul's saying to Timothy, he's saying, hey, if you get to the point where you're rich and you start to become arrogant, there is a tendency that you will begin to think that because you feel smarter than everyone else, that there is a, a level that you can get to, there is a figure that you can get to, then it will protect you from everything. It will protect you from everything. And so in your mind, you have this number that you're working towards because you feel that if you can get to this number, that your kids will be cared for, that no situation in life, no circumstance can ever hurt you. And when you begin to do that, your hope moves from God to your wealth. And maybe you wouldn't consider yourself a rich person. 
But maybe you're sitting here tonight and you sense that even though you don't feel rich, that, that your hope has begun to move towards your wealth. And you think to yourself, if I could just get this figure in my bank account, if I could just earn this much, if I could just get these things, then I would be safe. And in a minute, I want to give you a test to, to just kind of help you begin to think about where your hope is placed. But I know that there are some of you right now and you're sitting there and you're like, why? You're still stuck back at the start. You're like, why do they just talk about money in churches so much? Like, why is it the pastors just talk about money all the time? And the answer is actually pretty simple. Because Jesus talked about it a lot. In fact, if you open the pages of the New Testament, you read the biographies that we have on the life of Jesus, Jesus talked about money way more than he talked about heaven and way more than he talked about hell. For Jesus, it was, this was such a big deal. And the reason that it was such a big deal, well, I'll let Jesus speak for himself. Because when he was gathered, Matthew records that this is what Jesus says when it comes to money. He says, where your treasure is, in other words, what you put your hope in, there your heart will also be. Where your treasure is, what you value the most in this life, there is where your heart will be drawn towards. And if you value money and stuff and wealth the most in this life, then your hope and your heart will be drawn towards it. Maybe not intentionally, but unintentionally. And the reason that I think that Jesus talks about money in this way is because he realizes something really profound. And it's that the chief competitor for your heart is not the devil, it's stuff. Think about this, that might, that might be like, what, hang on, what? I've been to churches and they're always like, Jesus or the devil, God or the devil. But honestly, for the vast majority of us, if, if someone said to you, look, God definitely exists and you've got two options, God or the devil, you sit there and you're like, well, that's a no-brainer, duh. Like, God. But what about if someone said God or $5 million? All of a sudden, it's like, whoa, I could do a lot of stuff with $5 million. And so now I want to, um, I want to give you the hope test. And you can just think about this uh, where you're sitting. What I want to do with this, with this test is I want, you, I want to read you two statements, and I want you to feel which of these statements causes you more anxiety. Not think, just what, what feeling comes up inside of you and which of these statement causes, statements causes you to feel more anxiety. The first one is this. There is no God. You live this life, when you get to the end of it, everything goes black and it's all over. Everything you ultimately do in this life doesn't really matter on a cosmic scale because at, at some point in the future, you know, the universe is just going to be absorbed into heat death and it's just going to all be gone and it'll, one day it'll eventually all be black. There is no God. And then statement number two, you have no money. You go to the bank account, zero. And there's no way to get it back. It wasn't some mistake, the bank's like, we can't do anything. And you don't know if you'll ever get it back. Which one of those statements causes you to have more anxiety? And just imagine, just imagine for a second that this past week, and I know this is going to be raw for some of you because maybe you're wrestling with this right now, but just imagine that this past week that you got a diagnosis and it's a diagnosis that you, you don't want. 
It's one of those diagnoses by the doctors that no one ever wants to get. And all of a sudden, your days are numbered. It could be days or it could be months, but it's not good. And no amount of money will get you a cure. No amount of money will extend your life. In that moment, what do you do? Because I guarantee that if you're faced with that, even if you're not sure if there's a God, you're going to hope that there's a God. You're going to hope that this world is not all that there is. You might even begin to pray. You don't even really know what praying is or how to pray, but you would begin to pray. You might even call your friends up, that, that weird friend of yours that you kind of know that goes to church, and like, hey, I don't really know about this God thing, but I've, I've got some questions. And so in light of that, this is the question that we all need to wrestle to the ground, every single one of us, whether you're a Christian or not at some point, is if your hope will be in God in the end, why not place your hope in God in the middle? If there will come a point in your life where your days are numbered and it's all, it's, it's all becoming so real, if at that point in your life your hope is going to be in God or you're going to be hoping that God exists, why waste all this time in the middle putting your hope in something else that, where your hope will eventually go back to God or eventually end up in God in the end? This is how Paul finishes uh, writing to Timothy about rich Christians. He says, I want them to put their hope, don't put their hope in riches, which are so uncertain, but put their hope in God. And then he goes on, this is the interesting part, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. What Paul's saying here is, hey, God wants you to, if you want the newest iPhone, go and get the newest iPhone. If you want that car, you go and get that car. If you want to set a saving target, if you want to become a millionaire, you set that target. If you want to have an overseas holiday every year, have it. If you want to dream of taking over the real estate market and owning six houses or getting the investment, whatever you want, do it. Because God's not interested in how much you have. God's interested in that your heart doesn't migrate to something that is not ultimately going to give you hope. Really what Paul is saying, and I kind of condensed it down just into one big idea, and I, I know as soon as I say it, you're going to laugh, you're going to be like, typical churchy kind of vibe, typical preacher would come up with something lame like that. But the reason I want to do it is because I know that some of you are in here and you'll be like, nah, I, I just don't buy it. And I want it to be kind of annoying enough that you'll remember it one day, that if you're thinking and you come to this situation, like, maybe my hope is migrating, that you'll remember it. And so the, the big idea that Paul is trying to ram home to Timothy to communicate to rich Christians is this. When riches become the basis of your hope, you're headed down a slippery slope. Told you. Very churchy. You'd be like, yep, that, definitely, that was definitely from church world, that one was. But what, what he's saying is when your riches and when your heart is put into one place and it migrates away to a place that's not ultimately going to leave you to hope, it's, that's not a good place to be in. That's not a place that you want to be in. That's not a place that I want to be in. That's not a place that anyone wants to be in. So the question becomes, how do we prevent that? And tonight, tonight all I wanted to do is to convince you that you're richer than you think you are. Over the next two weeks, we're going to talk about the one thing that can prevent this, prevent your, the riches becoming the source of your hope, and we're going to talk about some really practical ways that you can go about that. But I understand that there are some super high achievers in this room, because I know you guys, you guys are smart. And maybe some of you are like, yeah, but what's the, what could I, if I, if I could really maybe for extra credit or just had to do something this week, what would I, what would I do? Um, and we have this thing here at Beyond, it's called For Monday. Because we want the time that we spend together to impact not just your life, 
but the lives of the people around you. And so this Fall Monday, it's so simple. It's this. I want you to begin to ask this question. Is your hope in riches or is it in the one who richly provides? Is your hope in all the stuff that you have or is it in, all the, is, is it in the giver of the stuff? Now, I don't want you to ask, where do you want your hope to be? I don't want you to ask, where do you one day down the track want your hope to be? I want you to ask and answer right now, where is your hope right now? Is it in your stuff? Or is it in the one who richly provides everything for you? Now, as we close up, if you are not a Christian here tonight, I want to tell you, I cannot, I'm not demanding, I'm not saying you should, I'm not saying you need to place your hope in God. I can't tell you to do that. All I'm saying is that placing your hope in riches is a better option. And if you join with us for the next couple of weeks, we'll, we'll talk about a better option. I just want to add another category to your thinking so that you don't get to the end of your life and you've accumulated all this wealth and, and your hope is in that wealth. And you come to a place and you're like, man, this is not ultimately going to give me hope beyond here. And if you're a Christian here tonight, if you're a Christian here tonight, there is so much more at stake with this than we could even begin to imagine. If you're a Christian, this is a series that you need to pay close attention to. Because this is a series that has massive implications for not just beyond, but for every single Christian across the face of the earth. Jesus, uh, right after he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be, he wrapped up in a couple of breaths later, he said this, he says, no one, no matter how smart, no matter how skilled, no matter how intelligent, no matter how cruel, no one can serve two masters. Then he goes on, he says, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. God, Jesus is saying, this is so important if you're a follower of Jesus, because some of us are like, well, I kind of got my hope in God, and I kind of got my hope in my stuff. But don't worry, I've got 51% of my hope in God, and 49% of my hope in my stuff. Jesus says, that's not the way it works, and you know that's not the way it works. It's, it's an either or. Is your hope in your stuff, or is your hope in, in the one who provides all the stuff? Because no one, no matter how talented they are, can have two sources of hope. And the reason that this is such a big deal, the reason this has implications way beyond what we're just talking about tonight is because what's ultimately at stake is the hallmark, is the foundation of what the early church was known for. When the church first exploded onto the scene, it made headways not because of its theology. In fact, the theology of the early church was so weird that people didn't even know what it was. They were like, you, wait, you believe in a guy that rose from the dead? What, huh? Like, people would, like, laugh them out of the room. They thought it was so ridiculous. The hallmark of the early church wasn't all their stuff. They didn't have any stuff. The hallmark of the early church was their generosity. What little they had, they gave. When Rome rejected its own people, it was the Christians who came in and cared for them. What ended up toppling the Roman Empire, was a movement that was built on the back of generosity. And we have the opportunity to begin to be a movement who is not known for what it's against, 
but is known for what it's for. We, once again, can be a movement that is characterized by our generosity. We have an opportunity to be a movement where people look in and go, you know what, I might not agree, but I cannot, I cannot doubt the impact they're having on their community. And it happened once in history, and it can happen again. But it's going to take us as Christians to realize just how serious this is and what exactly is on the line. And it starts by asking where our hope is. Is it in our riches or is it in the one who richly provides? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we, um, we realize that this is such a difficult issue because we don't feel rich. We always look at someone else. Someone else is rich. We always compare ourselves to someone else. But Lord, I pray that for Christians in this room, that their hope wouldn't get to a point where it migrates away from you, where, it wouldn't, where we wouldn't say one thing on a Sunday and live out another thing during the week where our hope would be firmly rooted in a God who has provided everything for us, a God who has provided us life, a God who has provided us a way back to a relationship with Him. And Heavenly Father, if there are some people in the room who, who maybe are on that journey, they wouldn't consider themselves a follower of Jesus, and they're not even sure if they even like this whole idea of church. Lord, I pray that, that for them, they would just begin to ask the question, where is the source of their hope? Because ultimately, riches are uncertain. And there is no amount of money that can protect anyone from everything. And so, Lord, I pray that this would be an opportunity for them to, to find a better source of their hope. A source of their hope that will go beyond this life and into the next. And, Lord, I pray that we would once again turn into a movement that is characterized, not necessarily by our theology, but by our generosity and by the way we give irrationally to serve other people. And I pray these things in your son's name. Amen.